We're studying Luke chapter 5 today, beginning with verse 17. Another one of Jesus' really famous stories of his encounter with someone who's in need of help and in need of healing. Luke 5, 17, I'll read through verse 26, and then we'll say together, uh, thanks be to God. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to invite you, this just kind of uh, came in my heart while I was reading that. I just want to invite you to think about who you would or what you would need to bring before Jesus today. Like this whole story is some people who go to remarkable lengths to get their friend in the presence of Jesus. So as I talk for the next uh, little bit, um, I want you to begin to bring to your mind who you would want to be healed by Jesus what you need restored by Jesus' touch. Just kind of hold, hold on to that, okay? In this story, we see that there is a mess that has happened in someone's life that they can't fix on their own. Have you ever had a mess like that? Something that's just like going on, and you know when you wake up in the morning, man, this is such a mess that the next, you know, the next 12 hours that I have are not going to get it fixed by the end of it. Something that's going on, some grief, some problem. You know, there's some messes that we can just fix, that we can just clean up in a moment. At our last service, this guy named Daniel spilt his coffee all over the floor. It was a huge mess. I'm outing him. And, uh, and he, uh, he went and got those tiny little napkins that we have at the coffee things. There's like a million of them. He's making a big scene and, uh, he got it all cleaned up. It was just a coffee thing (laughs) that he spilled. I'm also related to him. So I'm picking on him. Um, but there's some things that happen, right? You're like, Oh no. I can't clean this up. I don't have the time to do this. And this is what we, we see in these stories of Jesus. There are people that are coming to him and saying, I've tried everything. I've, I've, I've tried years of dealing with this. But I have heard that you have the power to do something that I can't do. And so I'm getting my problem, I'm getting my mess in your presence. And the story today from Luke chapter five, there are four friends who are carrying their buddy through the streets of Capernaum because they've heard that Jesus can do something that they can't do. And they're telling their friend, they're like, man, today you are gonna get healed 
Today's the day for you. I'm gonna get you in the presence of this guy who's been all around the lake and he's gonna do this for you. And so we begin to sense the excitement that can come when some friends are going somewhere good. I know that you've probably had moments in your life when you're with your people, your buddies, and you're going somewhere good. There's just this feeling, this unified excitement that happens. I was thinking about um, in 1999, I was on the streets of downtown Nashville trying to get a ticket for the first playoff game ever for the Tennessee Titans. Me and my buddies were in college. We drove into Nashville and we were trying to get tickets and we found this guy. We paid more than we should, but we got tickets to the game. We're walking across the bridge, the Coliseum. We look down at the tickets and it's really big on the tickets, but we didn't think about when we bought it. It says obstructed view. So we had paid for the obstructed view seats, but we didn't care. We didn't care. We went and me and my friends were there for the Music City Miracle, kind of looking around a pole, you know? But I still get excited just thinking about the moment of being with them and thinking, are we gonna get there? A few years ago, I got to go to the World Series with my dad and my daughter, Lydia. I've been a Braves fan my whole life. My grandpa took me in 1986, and so it's the World Series, and we're, we're like clamoring through all, there was like over 100,000 people outside of the stadium who didn't have a ticket. We're trying to get through them. We're seeing Astros fans and we're like, you're going down in our house tonight. You know, it was like all that kind of stuff. It's so fun. Um, we did lose the game that night, but that's okay. Uh, and, but I just, what I remember is being with my people and going to this thing that I wanted to go to. Another one that I remember is several years ago, me and my closest friends went to Montana and it was a time in my ministry. Where I was really tired. I needed a break. In fact, the church gave me a little bit of a break. Um, and I went to Montana with my free, three friends and I'd always heard of this road called the going to the sun road. And we're going on that road. It's packed with people, cars lined up on it, right? But I'm with my guys in a rented SUV, listening to Tom Petty. And finally, you know, we get to this place where the views open up and literally, I don't know if anyone knew, I'm in the back of the suburban, you know, I'm just like crying, seeing this beautiful thing. I'm with my guys, you know. And that's what was happening on, in Capernaum, I think. These four friends who loved their friends so much. And they said, we are going somewhere good today. I know your life hasn't been good lately. I know that you know, this thing of, of being paralyzed has affected everything in your life. That's what happens with a mess you can't fix. It touches everything in your life. But they're like, man, we are believing that this is your day. We're gonna get you there. And they get close to the house. Jesus is actually inside a house in Capernaum. There's religious people, uh, teachers around him, and then all these people fill in the house. They get close to the house and they can't even sniff the door. Traffic jam, they can't get in. It turns out that day, Everybody had brought their friend to Jesus. And you can almost sense in the story the discouragement hitting the heart of the man who's being carried down the streets. But not his friends. And I have a theory why his friends were not discouraged. My theory is these guys are total rascals. They're not super sophisticated. They're not super religious. And they sure aren't keen on standing in a line that day. They should have, they should have waited their turn, but they don't. They start looking for a way. And so they go up on the roof of the house and one guy, you know, presumably finds a rope 
And I, I picture him saying, hey, guys, I found a rope, you know, because he's got a southern accent in my, in my story. Uh, that was an, almost an Australian accent. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, may have an Australian with you. And he, um, he's got the rope, and they're like, are we doing this? And they're like, we're doing this. And they tear a hole in the roof. They pull back the tiles, and they start lowering their friend who can't move on a bed if it was me and my buddies, it would not just be an even drop, right? It'd be like all this stuff. You'd be hollering. You'd be sweating, doing whatever it takes. My first job at a church uh, was in Murfreesboro. And the first guy I worked for, I was an intern. And I worked for this pastor named Gary. And I hadn't been working there long. He asked me if I'd come to his house on the weekend. He'd pay me a little extra money. He was re uh, well, he was, he was finishing out this space in their attic. He was going to put his daughter's bedroom up there, and he asked me if I'd come. And so when I go there, it was the day he's putting the floor down, and there's something really hard about putting a floor down in the attic. The hard thing is there's no floor. And so you have to stand on the joist, right, and you're holding uh, the boards, uh, whatever they're called, and a hammer and all this stuff. Well, I hadn't been there an hour, and I stepped right between the middle of it. And I caught myself on the joist, like under my arms. I was really proud of that. And then I looked at Gary and his face was just filled with terror, you know, because my legs were hanging in his living room. <laughs> and there's drywall falling and the, you know, the ceilings falling down. And his two preschool children, age children are down there and they're just like getting covered in stuff. And there's legs, you know, going and they start crying. I start crying. Um, and I was not invited over uh, for a while. Gary and I walked downstairs, there's this huge mess, a mess so big that I couldn't fix. I actually, what I had to do is I just had to leave. Well, Jesus is in the living room and the roof opens up. There's stuff falling down. It's a huge mess. It's, a, it's chaotic. He's trying to preach a sermon. And then now there's this guy being lowered by his buddies down. And so they just kind of move back and create this mat size, bed size hole for this guy to be lowered down and he sits down in front of them. It's in that moment that everybody knows that Jesus needs to say something. Like the guys on the roof looking in, they're not saying anything. The guy on the mat's not saying anything. The religious leaders aren't saying anything. This is Jesus' moment to speak. And this is what he says. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. It's a crazy line, man. And it's, it's not what the guy's friends were hoping Jesus would do that day. And so when Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven, three things happen simultaneously. One, the religious people are enraged. You're not supposed to say that. The second thing is the rascals on the roof are really confused. He said, what? And then the third thing is the man whose legs didn't work a moment ago, his legs still don't work. Jesus has just said this spiritual thing that there really could be no proof that he could even do. It says the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? We learn that they actually didn't say this out loud. They're just thinking it. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. It says Jesus perceived their thoughts. And he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? When I read this this week, getting ready for today, when I first heard Jesus say, man, your sins are forgiven, then I see this argument starting up. I'm thinking, man, 
we don't need another religious argument. I started thinking, Jesus, these friends brought this guy because they had a real problem, a real mess. They needed your help. I started thinking about some of the things that you might be holding and I'm holding right now, where I don't really need a religious explanation. I need Jesus to show up. I need him to do something. We need his healing. We need his help. And so everybody is 1,000% confused when there's a guy who can't walk and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Compounded with that is something that Jesus has seemed to be undoing throughout his ministry, which is taking away some bad theology that folks had that said your physical problems are directly connected to your sins. And now it seems he's turning that on his head. When we looked at the man with leprosy, it seemed clear that Jesus was saying your skin problem is not a sin problem. That something of their day that meant every physical problem was directly tied to something that you've done wrong, Jesus was taking it apart and taken away. And now the man can't walk and Jesus is talking about his sin. It's like, what are you up to? But what we see is that actually Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew that by saying he would forgive his sins and him not walking was another way actually of showing I can forgive his sin, but we still have physical problems in the same way that he can forgive your sin and you still have problems that you need help with. But he says, verse 24, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, meaning the thing that he's about to do is proving that he can forgive the sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The man's legs are healed, and the physical miracle Jesus shows, I'm doing the physical miracle to show you that I have the power to do a spiritual one. Jesus is saying there is all kinds of messes with our physical problems, but there is also a bigger mess that I'm most concerned with, and that's why I'm doing this thing. When he said that, it says the man immediately rose up, our favorite part of the story, before them, and picked up what he'd been lying on, the bed that the guys had been carrying, he puts under his arm, <laughs> and he goes home, walks down the streets of Capernaum. The guy who couldn't walk is now walking home, carrying his bed. Is that the guy who was on the bed? Yeah, he's carrying the bed, and he's glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, everybody in the house, the critics, the rascals, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, here's how I read. They were filled with awe and start saying, uh, we've seen extraordinary things today. Here's how I read that. His friends go bonkers. <laughs> They're like, our buddy just stood up. They just carried him through the streets, right? They ripped the roof open like only rascals would do. And Jesus came through for them. Are you ready for Jesus? Anybody longing for Jesus to come through for you? Well, they, the rascals, probably didn't get it like we don't get a lot of things. They probably didn't understand the deep spiritual truths that Jesus was trying to communicate. I'm not sure I do. They probably didn't understand completely the connection between him forgiving sins and saying that's the thing that he's doing and he's doing the physical healing to prove that he can forgive the sins. It's all a lot to take in. All they see is that their friends stood up. And I wanna say to you today, we won't figure it all out. There's gonna be stuff happening today and you're gonna be like, I don't understand that, God. I don't understand the order of how you're doing things. I don't understand why you're allowing that to still happen. I don't understand why the guy at church is saying your sins are forgiven and yet I still got these real problems. But here's what the rascal can figure out. The rascal can see 
that there's power in letting no obstacle stand between you and getting your friend in the presence of Jesus. That's, that's what we can see. That's what we can do. And this is really cool. The first reference to the word faith in the book of Luke is right here. So faith is going to become this thing that is, you know, this key for us to having salvation. But the first reference to faith, we've been in it 17 weeks. The first reference to faith is in reference to the rascals who had the courage and determination to not give up. And when he saw their faith, what did he see? He saw the roof falling down in front of him. When he saw their faith, what did he see? Like four goobers peering over the edge, like, is this really gonna work? When he saw their faith, Jesus pronounced the greatest spiritual miracle that we all need. He said, your sins are forgiven you. There's a confidence that we need and a determination to get into his presence. Uh, We have uh, this year began having a crowding problem here at Providence Church. You may have seen it. Uh, It's most notable in our parking lot. Um, I know some of you didn't get to sit down until uh, the prayer was over. And we're trying to remove all the barriers so the crowds can come. In fact, we'll never give up in trying to create space so you can bring your friends before Jesus. But there's determination that we've seen in you, especially those of you with F-150s. Y'all have figured out ways to park. I just wanna let you know that spring is coming and um, we're gonna be working on the grass bit. I'll have people, I've had this happen more than one time, but people will text me like a picture. They're stuck out on South Rutland Road in traffic. And they're like, you need to see this, how far it's backed up. And it's like five minutes to the service. I'm like, well, this is really helping me prepare spiritually, you know. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for your determination. I hope you won't give up. This story shows that rascals let no obstacle stand in their way and that it's rewarded. It is rewarded. The one who will say, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my friend in the presence of Jesus. The story also shows us that the religious people of that day were more concerned with defending what they might call orthodoxy and getting offended than celebrating someone being set free. Did you notice that? The religious people are not rewarded, they're frustrated. And I want to note this because we're going to be going through Luke for another year or so. I don't want to get confused on this. Jesus loves the religious person as much as the rascal. He loves everybody. Uh, What we see happening, though, is that the rascal, the person like that, they more share Jesus' purpose of seeking and saving lost people. And so they experience more reward and less frustration. If you see me as a religious leader or somebody else being really frustrated all the time and only talking about the bad things that are happening you probably need to look to a different religious person because the one who truly follows Jesus doesn't have that much time to be grumpy. We just don't. Jesus is setting people free in our midst every day, all over the place. It's his purpose. It's what he's doing. And there's definitely stuff to be frustrated about. But the follower of Jesus, the rascal, is like, I don't have time to be grumpy. This is amazing. He's seeking and saving lost people. And he's rewarding He's rewarding the determined. So I have a couple of charges for you today. The first is this, be confident in your faith. Be confident in your faith. Get on the road sometime carrying your friend and say, I'm gonna get you to Jesus. He's gonna meet you there. And like that, be determined in your faith. 
This is a time, an age, a season for the faithful to be determined, to not give up. I told you about falling through the ceiling uh, with my first boss, Gary. We walked downstairs. I'd made this huge mess of this cozy living room. The kids are covered in drywall. The floor needs cleaning. The ceiling has to be repaired. I did offer to help Gary fix the ceiling, but he declined my offer. <laughs> he was like, no, nah, I'll take care of that, buddy. I would have offered to, to pay for the repair, which would be an appropriate thing to do, but I was in my first semester as a sophomore in college, and I didn't have any money to do that. And so I left that day feeling quite defeated. Strange, though, Gary invited me back a few weeks later to continue the work upstairs in the attic. And when I arrived, I had to walk right through that living room. The kids were there playing on the floor. The carpet had been vacuumed, and I did not want to look up to see that gaping hole in the ceiling. But, of course, I had to. And so I looked up, and the ceiling was brand new, shining white. He'd even done the little popcorn thing already. But Gary didn't mention the ceiling. He just went upstairs, and so I followed him. In fact, I worked for Gary for years after that. He was my first mentor in ministry. And he never once brought that up again. You know, there are some messes that you can't fix. You don't have the power. You don't have the funds. You don't have the way. There are some things in my life that are all my fault. I did it. I stepped through the ceiling. But Gary fixed the ceiling because I couldn't. That's something to be thankful for. But there was more. He invited me back to continue the work, and he did not hold my mistake over my head. It was done. And that's why Jesus, I think, forgave the man's sin before he healed his legs. He was not just going to let him get off that bed. He was going to give him a whole new life when he stood up. He stood up not just with legs that were working, but a heart that was working again. And God chooses to remember your sins no more. He has separated them as far as the east is from the west. The things that you're lingering on, the things that you're sticking with, Jesus says, it is done. So why don't you let it go? Jesus says, stand up, launch out into the deep. He says, be made clean. You see, all the things that Jesus is doing and saying are pointing to a bigger miracle that he's going to work on the cross. For you, you big bunch of rascals. For me and for all our buddies. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. It's good news. Amen.